this is the gravity of the situation that we're dealing with. Okay, this is the brutality and and the rightfully awaited. This is what rightfully awaited him as a runaway slave in accordance with the law. This is what we're dealing with. So so for whatever reason, Onesimus ran away. He probably spent or, or sold or wasted everything that he stole from Philemon. And in a crazy twist of providence, he finds Paul who's in prison in Rome. Now, the crazy thing is, as we've already talked about, if you've been with us in the last few weeks, is that Paul actually led Philemon to Christ. That's what we think. We think that, that, that Philemon went to Ephesus and actually received Christ with one of Paul's teachings while he was in Ephesus as well, and then went back uh, to the area around Colossae. And, and so uh, Onesimus runs into Paul. Paul leads him to Christ, and they become close friends. And then Onesimus decides to go and make things right with his former master. And so here's what happens. Paul writes this short letter to go with the one that he's already giving Tychicus to take to the church at Colossae. As Onesimus is going to return home. So this is the situation we find ourselves in this morning. My purpose, let me give you my purpose right out the gate. Uh, My purpose for you this morning, church, for for the people that are here right now, is that I want the gospel to radically change your life. And how you relate to others. That's what I want you to get out of this story as we walk through this here this morning. That's what I want to see happen. That's what I've been praying for this week. You see, the book of Philemon, uh, we're going to see two products of the gospel in this book as we walk through it. The first product of the gospel is that the gospel produces transformed children of God. The gospel produces transformed children of God. We're going to see that right away. And the second product of the gospel that we see here is that the gospel will produce gracious, self-sacrificial love. So here's what we're going to do. Those are, our, those, are our two, those are our only two points for today. So if you're a note taker, you're, 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 you're just going to be staring at me. That's okay. Uh, those are our only two points for today because we're just going to walk through the text uh, sort of verse by verse, section by section, and talk about it. And we're going to see how all of Philemon points to these two things. The gospel produces transformed children of God and will produce gracious, self-sacrificial love. <clears throat> so we're going to read our text in whole, and then, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to come back and sort of talk about it. So we're going to start in verse 8. It will be on the screens behind me. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Remember last week, he's already set the stage. He's already set the stage that he's about to ask for a favor. He's about to ask for him to forgive his former slave. So that's, that's where he's about to go with this. All right. According to though, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he, was wrong, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. In the last two verses, confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. We're not going to read the last couple of verses. You can do that on your own. Uh, that's, that's just kind of a, a closing out, naming a few names, really the same names that we covered a few weeks ago at the end of Colossians as well. But but let me let me just pray one more time real quick as we get into this. Father, This week, while, while reading and, and studying, I'm reminded that I am so unworthy. I am like a runaway slave who deserves nothing but death. But you, God, you and your grace has saved my soul and have called me to a life of servant leadership. And so, God, let this message not be one that pleases man's ears, but one that glorifies your name and builds up the body. I pray, God, that you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us, help us to, to understand this text in your spirit, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul is kind of laying it on thick here. I don't know if you caught it. I know it's really hard uh, as, as you're reading scripture to sometimes like, begin to pick up on where you think maybe inflection goes and maybe how you think he's, he, he's speaking it and how he's, how he's actually saying it. Uh, but, but he's kind of laying on a, a bit of a guilt trip, okay? He's essentially saying, so, so Philemon, while you lounge around in your luxurious house with servants, I, an old man, am, and he, I'm here in prison for the gospel, I've led Onesimus to Christ, and he really feels a call toward ministry, and I could really use the help right now, but if you really want to take him back, I guess you can. By the way, did I remi- let me remind you that I did actually lead you to Christ, and without me, you'd be on your way to hell. Like, he kind of throws that in there. Well, well, if, if, if you can't find in your heart to do that, then when I get out of prison, I'm going to personally come and pay his debts. It's up to you. Oh, yeah, I'm also going to be there in a few months, and I'd like to stay at your house, which would make this really, really awkward if you don't do what I'm asking. And furthermore, this letter is going to be in the Bible, so if you don't do this, you'll always be known in the rest of, you know, time as that guy. But no pressure, right? No pressure. The first product of the gospel is that the gospel produces transformed children of God. I said that at the very beginning, and we're going to see how this starts to flesh out in the first couple of verses. Uh, accordingly, though, verse 8, I am, uh, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to, to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Uh, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who, uh, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Okay. Paul had every right. I want you to know this. Paul had every right as an apostle to just command Philemon to accept Onesimus openly as a brother. Right? Uh, Philemon is, is helping to lead the church in Colossae. All right? he's, under, he, he's actually under the authority of Paul, so he has every right, but Paul didn't see a need to do that. What's interesting is that the authoritative title of apostle is dropped here. 
Not because Paul suddenly ceased to be an apostle. He, he, he still is, of course, but because he doesn't want to appeal to his apostolic authority. Instead, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. This is, this is important. Nowhere else does Paul open a letter by referring to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But there he is, pleading the cause of a slave. And so he begins by putting himself into a similar position as the bondsman of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, a captive, is, is here in this letter pleading the case of Onesimus, a slave. Paul is appealing to Philemon, trusting <coughs> trusting in his faith and his love as a follower of Jesus. He said, I could command you to do what is required. I could drop the apostle bomb and order you around, but I'd rather press the gospel into your heart and tell you to obey the implication. Because that is real change. And that's what, that's what Paul's always out to see. I'd rather see you transformed by love than berated by law. That's what Paul wants to see happen. Now, now, Paul, obviously, so he has a spiritual authority over Philemon, but Philemon has legal authority over his slave. In the Roman world, you were property as a slave. You didn't have any value. Your, your slave master could do whatever he wanted to you. As I mentioned a moment ago, as a runaway, you could, you could be killed or branded, but, but along the process, you could also be beaten, you could be hanged, you could be crucified, you could be thrown to wild beasts in the Colosseum. You could be tortured just so the mass slave master knows that you had to suffer before you died. And just, just a side note here. But, but when we see in the New Testament that slave owners were called to love their slaves, to be kind to their slaves, this is a radical departure from the way the Romans actually viewed slavery. This is so, so different. This is so against the grain of culture whenever it says that in the New Testament. So I just want you to know that what Paul is asking of Philemon, a Roman citizen, is outrageous by worldly standards. Just a side note. Another interesting thing to note, in verse 10, you'll see that Paul calls his runaway slave, my child. He calls the runaway slave, my child. Now, we understand that this is not Paul's physical child, right? He didn't go on Mari and find the DNA test and discover that it's actually his kid. No, he, he didn't do that. He, this, we know this is not his physical child. Paul's calling Onesimus his child because when Onesimus ran away and found Paul, he was converted and became essentially Paul's spiritual son in the faith. That is significant, church. In, in the ancient world, slaves were never listed to have fathers. Their entire identity was assumed in their master. All right? and, 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 but Paul calls him his son. Paul has preached the gospel to Onesimus. He has laid out the gospel before him. And after he turns from his rebellion, Paul gives him an identity. Paul gives him a value, gives him a meaning and a name. Here it is, church. You are called to give brothers and sisters in this church and outside this church value and meaning. You may say, what right do I have to give value and meaning to others? You have no right. That's God's. Okay, here's the thing. In the Gospel of John, it says, everyone that believes, to everyone that believes, God gives the right to become children of God. And, and for those of you uh, in here who are Christians, you've been given a name. You've been given a place of honor, not because of anything you've done, but because God has freely given you his grace 
God has set his love and his affection on you, and you have meaning, you have purpose, you have worth and value and dignity. Because you have a Father in heaven who has made you flawless in Jesus. And realizing that about each and every Christian, understanding that, knowing that, having that knowledge, that this is how God feels about each and every Christian should, should make you want to go out of your way to love and to value each other. Because our God loves and values us. I think sadly some Christians throughout history have interpreted or misinterpreted this letter. And they, they've, they've taken this letter to, to mean that it, to, to not advocate equality, but, but to actually justify slavery. But it's very simplistic and, and wrong understanding. The New Testament subverts the entire premise of any form of slavery. The entire New Testament ethic can be summarized as do unto others as you would have them do unto you and to love your neighbor as yourself. It calls us to treat one another as brothers and sisters and tells us that in Christ there is neither slave nor free. A a verse Paul uses uh, often to close his letters is uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. I remember hearing this when I first came to know the Lord in high school. And, uh, and, and I remember even being a headstrong, like, college student. And I remember asking a professor, when is somebody going to preach on that verse? Why don't we take that literally? My professor pointed out that, that A, Paul was calling for a holy kiss, which was not the kind of kiss that I had in mind. And B, you were supposed to apply it to both men and women. So that took care of that desire real fast. But the kiss symbolized equality and family relationships. And it's a reminder of the kind of love that we should have for one another. So, so right after church, here's what I want you to do. Right after church, go ahead and grab somebody new and give them a big wet kiss and thank them for, I'm just kidding, don't do that. They'll probably never come back again. Um, that's the surest way to make sure that they never return. But the bigger point Here's the bigger point. The bigger point, and the way Paul obviously felt, as we see in his writings, here's the bigger point. In Christ, masters and servants become brothers and sisters. In Christ, masters and servants now become brothers and sisters. That new view of humanity would ultimately undo any form of slavery. And furthermore, for us, should undo any form of racism, sexism, or any other means of discrimination. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. One race, human. One class, sinner. One hope, Jesus. And one future, resurrection. One fortune. The riches of eternity in Christ. That's our hope. That's not just the hope of me as, as, as a pastor. That's not just the hope of of, of, of people who are well-educated and, 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 or, or, or who, who have followed the Lord for 10 or 15 or 20 years. That's the hope for each and every believer, each and every brother and sister in Christ. <clears throat> verse 11. This is, I, I actually love this little verse. Uh, I, love, I love the little parenthetical reference here right in the middle of his letter. <clears throat> Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me. Paul's using a little unexpected humor here, and he's making a pun with Onesimus' name. 
Here, here's the deal. Onesimus actually means useful. So Paul is saying that the useful one used to be useless. Now he is useful to you and to me. So he's kind of doing, a, he's making a little pun, a little wordplay here. Uh, I can imagine like Paul just, I don't know, sitting in his gel cell, just smirking a little bit as he, as he writes this out. I mean, he's got he's to enjoy uh, a little bit of what he's doing here. So, so he's writing this out, and, 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 and here's, here's what I want us to see from this. Um, his, his name means useful, but, but he was indeed useless. He was useless because he was a sinner. He, he, he was useless because he was, he was in a sinful state. And I think that's one that we should all be able to relate to because mankind is utterly useless without Christ. Just, just take a look, for instance, at Romans chapter 3 when it says that no one does good, not even one. No one seeks after God. We are useless. And you may be thinking here today, well, I'm not useless. God knows my heart. And I'm useful to him because I have a good heart. He understands me. Okay, cool. Let's check out Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You need a new heart, my friend. And, and that's how we stop being useless. Okay, pastor, useless is a mean word. You're starting to hurt my feelings a little bit. My self-esteem's going down as we talk. I mean, I mess up. I know I'm not that perfect. But my good deeds are more than my bad deeds. My, my, my good outweighs my bad. The problem is that the prophet Isaiah said when we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. We can't bribe God with filthy rags. He will be offended. God's looking for perfection. Without Christ, we are useless. We are hopeless. Church, we need to understand salvation isn't just really hard. It's impossible. By man alone, salvation is totally impossible. You are incapable of saving yourself. But salvation is possible with God when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. That's the result of the gospel. It produces transformed children of God. Made new, made whole, made holy, a new heart. If, if I were to die right now, I am assured that I would be with the Father, not because I'm up here teaching or anything special about me, but because God views me with the righteousness that Jesus gave me. The gospel makes useful, useless people useful. I was looking for the timer. All right, we're good, we're good, we're good. We're going to keep going. Verse 12, um, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, he says. I want you to note real quick uh, that the word heart used here is not the standard word for heart, which in the Greek would be uh, cardiac, where we get the, you know, cardiac, that's where we get that word from. Uh, this word indicates more than just a heart, but also feelings and compassion. Here, here's what he's really saying. I am sending you a part of myself. That's, that's how strongly Paul feels about Onesimus. I'm sending you a part of myself. I'm sending him back to you. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but be of your own accord. Paul really is great friends with Onesimus and doesn't want to see him go. 
he, he's become quite useful, it would seem, after all. But, but Paul wanted, uh, also wanted to set things right with, with Philemon. So he wanted to afford the two men the opportunity to reconcile. He wanted to see these two brothers in Christ uh, reconcile. He wanted to provide Philemon the chance to free Onesimus on his own to do the right thing. That's what he wants to see happen. Let me ask you this, church. How often do we do the hard thing? How often do we sacrifice to give someone else the opportunity to do the right thing, to succeed? I was thinking about it this week, and and maybe I'm cynical, or maybe it's just me, and that's fine. But I feel like as a society, our default position is to set people up to fail. We, We set the bait and then see if they take it. We, 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 we throw the line out there and then, and then see if they hook it. Or, or maybe, maybe we're in a position where we, we, we want people to succeed around us, just not more than we do. I mean, you can succeed to a certain extent, but, but we're going to draw the line here. I don't want you to be more successful than me. So at a certain point, you know, I might sabotage a little bit. Paul's given up a dear, dear friend of his. He, he refers to him in, in language like child. He calls him his, his child. He, 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 he calls him his heart. But, but again, not, not like his physical heart, but like his heart. And, and, and a little bit later, he calls him his, his brother. He uses all these endearing terms for Onesimus. And he's, he's giving him up. He's letting him go. He's useful to Paul. Paul's in prison. Paul needs people that can be runners, that can go from one church to the other church, that can take his letters, that can go find out what's going on here. And so, so Paul can continue to pastor and to lead. He needs these people, but he's willing to give them up so that together the Philemon and Onesimus can, can succeed, can, can put their past behind them, can, can reconcile. How often are we willing to do that? Verse 15. For, for this, perhaps, is why he departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Another interesting point that Paul makes here is, is that uh, by the looks of things, uh, maybe it was God's amazing wisdom and providence that brought Onesimus to him so that he could learn the truth of the gospel and then return to Philemon uh, as not only a slave, but as a beloved brother. Paul recognized that Philemon's whole story was ultimately woven by God's own hand. Onesimus' crime and his his flight when he he ran away uh, were were made to become, by God's grace, part of the plan to bring Onesimus to himself. It, It reminds me of another story. It reminds me of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, and they were eventually brought to salvation through that. Listen, this is more than just chance. Onesimus fled his master's house. He traveled uh, over 1,000 miles. I think it's somewhere around 1,233 miles from Colossae to Rome, which might as well have been like a whole world away at this point in time. He went to Rome to escape his master, to live the life he wanted. Only while he's there, he meets the very man that led his master to salvation. And then he found spiritual life himself. Sometimes God's providence is breathtaking. 
God is continually involved in the lives of his people in such a way that they fulfill his purposes without canceling out genuine human choice or moral responsibility. Can you see his providence in your life? When you look at all the happenstances and the coincidences and, and, and all of the things, can you see his providence in your life? Can you see his fingerprints? I'm sure they're there. You only have to, to look, to be honest. And when we look back, we just see how he's moved. And it's such a beautiful and incredible and amazing and humbling thing <clears throat> when we recognize that. Paul is calling for something radical. All right, he, he's asking for full forgiveness. The, the gospel calls us to forgive. But let's think for just a moment about all the crimes that Onesimus had committed against his master. Because Paul's asking him to forgive these crimes. First off, Onesimus has acquired a debt that was so great that it got him into slavery in the first place. We haven't even talked about that. The reason he was a slave had nothing to do with the color of his skin, had nothing to do with his station in life, it had nothing to do with where he was from. It was most likely due to the fact that he ran up a huge debt and he needed it paid back. And so, and so somebody, Philemon, came along and bought his debt and then enslaved him while he paid it back. He's committed some kind of crime that was worth him risking his life and running away. We think that was he stole a lot of stuff. And, and then running away in general would have warranted death. We've already covered that. Paul is calling for Philemon to forgive this sinner, this, this wretched slave who sinned against him. How could he ask such a thing? Church, I want you to hear me say this. No one has ever sinned against you more than you have sinned against the Lord our God. Nobody. Well, you don't know, you, know, you don't know my family, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know what people, nobody has sinned against you more than you sinned against the Lord our God. And he has forgiven. God has forgiven us. And when a brother or sister comes to you in repentance, you only have one righteous and holy response. Loving forgiveness. Paul is not just trying to help his friend out of a jam. He wants real and true reconciliation. He wants these two brothers in Christ to come together. To put aside differences for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And every time we are in a dispute with a believer, that's what he wants us to do also. Seventy times seven. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. He, uh, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. At this point, uh, Paul probably took the pen from his scribe and he penned this last bit himself. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 18, uh, Paul says, put it on my tab. Whatever Onesimus has done to offend you, I'll pay it back. This is why most scholars believe Onesimus's, Onesimai, uh, is that the plural of Onesimus's? I don't know. Um, His original offense must have been theft. Because, because Paul's uh, putting himself on the hook for anything that Onesimus owed. He's taking full responsibility for Onesimus' debt, which, remember, currently bore the, bore the punishment of torture and execution at worst. But he also brings up that Philemon is indebted to Paul for introducing him to the eternal life in Christ. He obviously doesn't view those debts the same and in no way wants real payback 
for leading him to Christ. It's more of a reminder of the love of Christ and how much he cared about his eternal soul to introduce him to Jesus. A reminder to consider what Jesus taught about forgiveness and mercy and grace. He's kind of putting that out there just to implore him to remember. Martin Luther once wrote, uh, Even as Christ died for us with God the Father, thus Paul also does for Onesimus with Philemon. Did you catch that? There's a beautiful gospel parallel here in the book of Philemon. Paul is a picture of Jesus Christ who carefully pleads our case before the heavenly father. That's Philemon in the scenario. We are Onesimus, the runaway slave, the rebellious one, the one who no longer is useful because of our sinfulness. But Christ says that we are useful, not, not because of anything we've done to be deser- deserving uh, of being taken back, but because of Christ's own reputation. In, in this letter to Philemon, Paul says in verse 18, whatever he's done against you, charge it to me. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what he did for us at Calvary? He said to the Father, give me their sin. Whatever they did against you, charge it to me. I'm ready. Jesus became our substitute, our atoning sacrifice. He paid our unpayable debt. And that's what enables us to return home and to be useful once again. This is the gracious, self-sacrificial love that the gospel produces. This is grace lived out. Let me get these last two verses. 21 and 22, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So, so based on Philemon's past obedience to the Lord, Paul is confident that he will come uh, through with Paul's appeal for Onesimus. Not only that, but Paul actually believed that, that Philemon would go even beyond and above what Paul was asking him to do in accepting Onesimus back. And if he didn't follow through, he'd know because he's coming to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. Here's the thing. We don't exactly know what happened with Philemon and Onesimus. I mean, we have this letter, but we don't really see the outcome of the letter in Scripture. But this is interesting. Uh, A few decades later, some 40, 50 years later, a church leader named Ignatius, maybe you've you've heard of him, maybe not. He was being led uh, to to be martyred, actually. And and he's writing some letters, and he's sending out some letters, and he's mentioning some names, and he's trying to shore things up before he's killed for his faith. And, And he mentions, he refers to an elderly bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. Which scholars have said that that's a very uncommon name among people in leadership positions. And and, and because of that, many scholars believe, based on the timing and the context of the Ignatius reference, believe this to be the same Onesimus of the book of Philemon. And so what we see in the book of Philemon is a beautiful picture of, of the gospel and the mission of the church. Philemon was a ruthless businessman transformed into a beautiful picture of generosity. Onesimus is a pilfering thief transformed into the leader of one of the most important churches of the ancient world. Martin Luther said in his quote that we are all Onesimuses, but I actually think we're a little bit of both. I think we want to see Philemon's and our church becomes self-sacrificing, gracious participants in the mission of God. 
We want to see Onesimus's in our church become transformed children of God. Here's what you need to know. Onesimus says, God has a plan for you. If you relate to that character, if you relate to that part of the story, God has a plan for you. You have received grace. God pursued you to Rome, and he has a plan for you. Maybe if you relate a little bit more with Philemon in this passage, God has a plan for you. Think about how much you owe grace. Treat others as, as you have been treated. The truth is, is that we are all Onesimus. We are all but Philemon. We are all enslaved to sin. We have all done great wrong, and we're all people who have been shown lavish generosity. That makes us a community of equals, a place of great grace. The gospel transforms the ruthless into the generous, the enslaved into the empowered. It levels the oppressor and the oppressed, exalting one out of slavery and humbling the other with grace. It redeems us both with mercy and makes us sit down together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, neither male nor female, no hierarchy. We are all for one in Christ Jesus. And it starts this weekend on a very personal level. So I'm going to give you some personal application real quick. If you were in the position of an Onesimus who has done wrong, even if you felt justified in it, how that is. We're not going to get into justification right now. You need to go today and make it right. Even if it makes you really uncomfortable or you risk some kind of severe negative consequence. I mean, Onesimus could have gone to prison. He could have been beaten. He could have been killed. He could have been branded on his forehead. They still did it. And if you're in the position of Philemon and someone has wronged you, you need to let it go. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not just as easy as I just said it, obviously. But here's, here's how we have to think about it. How gracious has Jesus been to you? How much of your life is owed to grace? Can you say, like Paul, can you actually say with, with all of your heart, can you say, charge it to my account? Charge it to me. That's mine. I'll take it. Like in verse 15, when we talked about God's providence, I can't help but sense the sovereignty has been pursuing some of you. Maybe that's why you're here. I want you to know that God has so much more for you than you have ever realized. He, he wants to transform your life. He, he wants to make you into something useful in the kingdom, to be a blessing to others. So let me just pray for you right now. And, and if you feel like, if you feel like that's you, God's been pursuing you. You're in Rome right now, and God chased you there. God wants to see you come home. He wants to see you come back. I'm going to pray for you, and, and, and I would encourage you, I would, I would implore you to, to go outside during this next song after the gathering is over, whatever, step into the care room and let somebody pray over you. I'll be in the middle if you want me to pray with you. I'll pray with you. God, we love you so much and we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the story 
this incredible story of grace, of, of sacrifice, of redemption and reconciliation. And I pray no matter where we are right now, each and every one of us in this theater this morning, no matter where we are on our journey, in our walk, that we saw a shade of ourselves in one of these two characters and we could begin to move closer to you. We could begin to trust in you a little bit more, put our faith and our hope in you a little bit more, live a little bit more like you today, right now. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that today would be the day they put their trust and their, their faith and their hope in you for the very first time. I pray that you would stir their heart right now, that they wouldn't be able to sit still. They would need to get up and find you and talk to you and give you their life. I pray that you would continue to move and work in these next moments. It's in Jesus' name I pray.